thank you for your giving. Uh, you, we appreciate you. Of course, I try to say all the time, I try to remind myself to appreciate uh, the people for all that you do. And I always believe the moment that you step on the parking lot or tune in, you've already given. But then those go beyond that. You give your money as well, and you give a listening ear. And so that should be appreciated and congratulated. And let me say again, stop staying in places where you are not appreciated. Amen. You should be appreciated. All right, let us uh, take some time. We're, we're going to uh, pray. Brother Donald, just let me know that his uh, aunt passed away, and she, she made it to 90. But we have several people who are missing because they're sick. And so we're just going to do a, a quick overall prayer, and then we'll do our confession. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, God, we do, uh, once again, as Mother Mitchell already said, God, we pray for the bereaving families, God, those who've lost loved ones, whether they were young, old, anyone in between, God, we ask that you would continue to bless them name by name, one by one, God, continue to bless Devante's mother, God, uh, Sister Ty, God, and just the several others, the, the crisp and the King family, God, continue to just bless them, God. And bless the ones in the body who are sick and going through uh, the, just the virus that's been going through. Bless and touch their bodies. God, but we also ask that you would bless this preaching moment. And God, allow the people to get something out of it, God. Let your anointing flow freely, unhindered, uninterrupted, and unchecked by any satanic or demonic forces. And thank you, Father, that the people will be eternally touched and blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Grab your Bibles in your hands. And repeat after me, this is my Bible. I'm going to let my guys get, get with it in the back. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I, am, what it says I, am. I can do what it says I can do. I will have what it says I will have. I'm a part of Deliverance Temple. Where we love by living our vision every day. We connect with our Creator continually. We confess our deliverance consistently. We, confess our consistently. we commit to serve creatively. We, commit to serve creatively. we communicate Christ's love compassionately. Father God, feed me your word. Amen. We praise the Lord. Go ahead and make some noise this morning. And so uh, I don't really have a fancy title today. It's just uh, just called Celebrating Black History Month. So Celebrating Black History Month, and that's what we're going to be talking about. And so one of the things that, that could be a criticism is, number one, you don't only have black people in your congregation. You don't only speak to black people. So why would you take precious sacred pulpit time to celebrate Black History Month, which could be seen as secular. Why would you incorporate it into your service? So let's look at Galatians 3.28, which is a reason why maybe I wouldn't or shouldn't. Go ahead and read that. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This is a beautiful statement in the kingdom of heaven that we are all one in Christ Jesus. There's no longer male or female. There's no longer uh, Jew or Gentile. And so the distinctions, especially in American culture, of black and white are unnecessary as it relates to the kingdom of God. And so why, Pastor Andre, would you focus on a black history when the kingdom is greater than black history? Which it is. The kingdom is above that. But there's another scripture that I think would help you make sense of why I decided that it's necessary to go in this direction. Let's read this scripture, Matthew 25, 45, English Standard Version. Then he will answer them saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. You have to understand how Jesus functions and operates. He loves everybody. He raises everybody. But he has a special place in his heart to those who have been downtrodden. And in this statement, he was giving a parable, and he talked about the fact of people going to the prisons and checking on the least of them. And he said, you did not check on me when I was sick. You didn't feed me when I was hungry. And so they were like, when did we not do that? He's like, when you didn't do it for the least of them, 
you didn't do it for me. And so in the kingdom of God, it's true that the blood of Christ raises above all of our distinctions. But yet there are certain people who have been the least of these. And sometimes attention needs to be brought to them to help lift them up. Because there's an old saying that says rising tide lifts all boats. As long as the least of these are forgotten, then the, the, those who are higher, they don't benefit from the, the blessing that everybody can come together. So sometimes you have to have special attention on certain groups of people. So that's why I decided that it is important to do this. And not just because I'm black, but because I'm black, I can speak on it very well. I understand the lived experience of being sometimes cast down simply because of the color of my skin. Now, I went to a Christian school, the first person, the first black male to graduate that Christian school. So I am a part of black history myself. But as I look back over the course of time I was there, I was there from preschool all the way up until 12th grade. So from, from a very long time, it took me a while until I got older to realize some of the racism that I experienced while I was there. Because it was a Christian institution, you assume that everything was always lovely. But when you look back, you hear and remember things that were said, that was done. There was a lot of girls that liked me. There wasn't a lot of black girls at my school. So there was a lot of white girls that liked me. But a, whole of them, a lot of them didn't want me to meet their daddy. Took me a while to figure out that why they only wanted to talk to me in school. When I was in elementary, we were playing a game, and they called me cow patty. I thought it was funny. It wasn't until later that I realized cow patty is cow poop, and they were saying, you're the dark one. I, I didn't realize I was experiencing racism until I got a little older, and then you begin to reframe and reshape things, and you begin to see things through a certain lens, and you realize, oh, wow, even a lot of safe folk got a lot of junk left in them that needs to be processed out. But you don't focus on that. You don't make that your focus because one thing that I've learned as a human being, humans will human. That means we all have a lower nature that we will function out of. And if it's not racism, it's tribalism, it's gender, it's socioeconomic, we will always find something to bicker and fight about if we're not careful. And one thing that I've had to ask myself, if I grew up white, would I be racist too? It's easy to point the finger at them, but I had to ask myself, if I grew up on the other side of the tracks, who would I be? So it's just important to study it, but always remember that God is the ultimate factor that rises us all up. But just because God rises up doesn't mean we shouldn't talk about things. So let's, let's start by doing this. Let's look at some origins of Black History Month and just even how it, it came about. I'll read this. I'll try not to take too much time on it, but just give you a little information and background. So we're going to flash this picture up. This picture is a man named Carter G. Woodson. Carter G. Woodson was a historical scholar. And so let's uh, read these things that we have on the screen. It says this, after being barred from attending American Historical Association conferences, despite being a dues-paying member, they took his money but didn't want his black body once he showed up. Woodson believed that the white-dominated historical profession had little interest in black history. He was a historical scholar, but as he began to look at things, he began to notice that some things were being treated as the least of these. Let's go to the next one. He saw African-American contributions overlooked, ignored, and even suppressed by the writers of history textbooks and the teachers who used them. So one of the greatest strikes of racial oppression is not just you being called a word or even a cross being burned in your great-grandma's uh, yard. It was what they did perpetually in history to erase people yes. out of history. Because history is very important. And when you can strategically erase things from history, you can shape a narrative that becomes altogether False, And so that happens a lot. And, and several years ago, we talked about how it's been done in the Bible. 
and how things have been stripped from the Bible. And so history is important. So Carter G. Wilson was like, something is not being processed fair in the real history. So let's look what he goes on to say. For black scholars to study and preserve black history, Woodson realized he would have to create a separate institutional structure. Why do y'all have y'all own stuff and y'all own month? Because we were forced to because it kept getting erased that we had to end up doing it our own. Why do y'all have a uh, black Miss America? Because we weren't allowed with the white Miss America. We were, number one, there wasn't a white Miss America. It was called Miss America. And we weren't allowed, so we create, created our own. And so then now people are like, why is it fair that you have your own, but you forced us to have our own. And so now that we have our own, we're not so sure we, could, we should get rid of what we have to be included with, you, with what you have because we are, don't know whether or not you're going to really treat us fair. So that's how a lot of things become to be these side separate things. There's a whole idea of segregation being separate but equal. We had no problem with the separate. The problem was it was unequal. So we fought for equality, but sometimes when we got equality, we realized it wasn't so bad being segregated because now that I'm allowed with your in your situation on the laws in the books, you kind of hide the the segregation and separation behind closed doors. In other words, nowadays they're not going to tell you that I'm going to deny you based on the color of your skin. But if your name is Cheryl and your name is Shaniqua, Shaniqua might get thrown in the trash as far as the application because it sounds too ethnic. Yeah. Cheryl, I'm not sure about that. We're going to put that on the side. Let's go for Sue. Because yeah. Sue sounds a lot safer. Yes. So you have to be careful of this these separations. So it's just, it's just reality. It is what it is. It is the way it is. And we understand it. So that's why we talk about it. Let's continue to read. Woodson's devotion to showcasing the contributions of black Americans bore fruit in 1926 when he launched Negro History Week. It was only going to be one week in the second week of February to coincide with the birthdays of Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass. Woodson's concept was later expanded into Black History Month. So it started off by a historical person saying, hey, something's not right about the history So we need to have our own separate thing, and we're going to celebrate it for a week. But as they begin to celebrate it, it begins to expand because they realize that black history is American history. Italian history is American history. Irish history is American history. Japanese history is American history. All the conglomerate of who we are, of the melting pot of America, it's all a part of our history. But here's the reason why we really want to celebrate the black history, because we was here really, really early. Yeah. A lot of people made it and came through Ellis Island, but they weren't here picking cotton and building the economy on their backs. We were here really, really early. So it's important to celebrate the contributions that we make to what America is. And everybody benefits from what a few people did. America is just barely 200 plus years old, really 247 years old. Well, how do you know that? Because I was born in 1976. America was built or made, it became an independence in in 1776. And so however years old I am, you add 200, that's how old America is. And so how do we have one of the greatest economies in the known universe in only 200 something years that doesn't happen it takes years to have a great economy how do you do that you do it when you start off with a whole bunch of free labor yeah that's the reason why we have the wealth we have because everything that we did was free and then we borrowed people's land that was already here native americans we borrowed their land basically we took their land killed them and brought people over here and made them do the work. And now, wow, we're the greatest nation in the whole world. Yeah, but we kind of had a jacked up past to get to where we are. We can't forget how we got to where we are. Another uh, preacher said this 
uh, he said some people, they, they're like, uh, some people play the victim. Y'all always play the victim. And this preacher said, uh, let, let's say that we are all playing Monopoly. But one player in the Monopoly doesn't get the money to start off with. You know, when you play Monopoly, everybody gets the same amount of money to start off with. But this one person, they're not going to get any money to start off with. And they have to pass go 10 times before they get the $200. Everybody else is going to play Monopoly by the regular rules. Well, when that one person has to play with unfair rules, you can't look at them and say, why didn't you win? Well, I didn't win because you started me at a disadvantage. And so until you can acknowledge that I had a disadvantage, then we need to talk about the fact that, well, you need to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, but you didn't give me no boots, you didn't give me no straps, I didn't get no shots, and I didn't have feet, I was on crutches. So, so until we are honest about how we got here, then we really can't move on. Now, it's okay for us to be honest in the educational system, but people don't like to be honest in the church because they didn't have any place for it in the church because Jesus saves everybody. But yes, it still is history. If you look at the Bible, the Bible records all kinds of history, good and bad. The Bible didn't have to tell us that Noah got drunk, but the Bible tells us the good, the bad, and the ugly. I love America, but I'm willing to talk about the good, the bad, as well as the ugly. Amen. All right, so we're going to move off of that. That's just the reason why it is it, it, it came to be. Let's move off of that. Let's just talk about just a local legend. Go ahead and flash that up here. Just a local legend, a local legend that is actually has great ties to Deliverance Temple. Deliverance Temple... Uh, based on who we are founded on. We are really a family ministry. It was founded by Bishop Clark, but Bishop Clark's wife was my father's first cousin. The church was passed to my father and then passed to me. So it's been in this bloodline for a while. But there is a name that you hear often that is really tied to the Muncie of uh, black history and the Muncie power that is uh, uh, the advancement that we see is really tied even, in, even into the legacy of Deliverance Temple. And so as we flash that back up, I'll go ahead and read it because it's a little uh, hard to see. It says, swimming in Phillips Lake. It's a picture of young black people swimming in Phillips Lake because Tui's was segregated. 1956, Roy Bewley fought for this cause. Roy Bewley is Bishop Mitchell's uncle. It was my grandmother's brother. And so Roy Bewley, he ran the winning touchdown for Central in the 50s, but they celebrated him for that because he won and crossed the, uh, the touchdown line, and they loved that. But then he couldn't go swim where everybody else was swimming. And so a lot of the uh, young black people were swimming in the lakes and swimming in White River, but there are drop-offs yeah. in the White River that a lot of people don't know and don't even see. They even say that there's a certain spot that they uh, train Navy SEALs back in the day or Navy people because there are certain drop-offs. Well, there was a lot of young black people that were dying by drowning, and so they said, it's not fair that we got to swim in the White River and we can't swim in Tui's because Tui's does not say white only. See, here in the North, they didn't have the South rules but they played the same game as the South. See, in the South, they at least tell you, you can't drink from this fountain, you can't be over here. But in the North, oh, we're so educated. But it was hidden behind the scenes, and so it was frowned on if black people got into Tui Pool. And so my great uncle was like, no, don't just celebrate me in sports. I want to swim where everybody else swims. And so he broke through the barrier, and, and over time, People allowed to happen. And when I say over time, it always took some white people somewhere to stand up and fight with the black people to say, hey, this ain't right. And we are all working together. And that's how progress is made. So if you've ever dipped your ankle in Tui water, you've got to know that somebody fought for it to be that way. 
if you are white and you are ever in water with a black person, you got to realize that somebody fought for it to be that way, and it is important. Yeah. All right, moving right along, because I want to get into some scriptures. So let's look at this and put this up. The four colors of Black History Month. These four colors, this black, green, yellow, and red, do they mean something? They actually have strategic meanings, and so... We're going to spend the rest of the time talking about that and incorporating scriptures that will bless and benefit all of us. So let's start off with number one. Number one, black represents the resiliency of the people. Yeah. That's what the color represents. Let's look at the word resilience. Study that and see what that word means. It means the capacity to withstand or to recover quickly yes. from difficulties Toughness. Two, the ability of a substance or object to spring back into shape, elasticity. I've said it many times in preaching here. I say our bounce back game is strong. It's one thing to be resilient means you can go through things and you can come out of things and you don't always have to look like what you've been through. Many of you sitting here, black, white, whatever you are, you have been through some stuff. But based on the fact that you are resilient, based on the fact, like Job, I've been tried in the fire, but I came out as pure gold. I, I came out better than what I went in. It's Everybody's not like that. Some people who are sitting in what they call straight jackets or, for lack of a better a term, the mental war, they've been through less than what you've been through, but they were made like you were made. They were made brittle. They were made fragile, and they can't handle anything. But when you've been resilient, and folk have talked about you ever since you was little. And people have lied on you ever since you was little. And you still are here. And you still a business owner. And you still got degrees. And you still live where you want to live and drive what you want to drive. You got to understand there's something resilient about who you are. I know who I am because God lives on the inside of me. And you got to wake up a whole lot early in the morning to tear me down because I know who I am. I am black and I am proud. I am white and I am proud. I am whatever I am because the I am that I am lives on the inside of me. And you can't keep a good man down. You can't keep a good woman down. You can't keep somebody who knows who they are down because they will always bounce back up. Always reminds me, I'm talking about swimming, of the story that I always tell, but I'll tell it again. When I took uh, swimming lessons at the Y to learn how to swim, and I still can't swim. Mm-hmm. I was upset because I paid all the money, and an 18-year-old boy came out to teach me. And he's like, I got to read more information on you because you can't even float. And I'm like, well, get me somebody. But anyway... In the process, what happened was we were all doing well, and they took everybody in the class to the deep end, and he told me I could stay in the back because I wasn't ready for the deep end. But while I was waiting, I seen a revelation that I've preached all over the country. Everywhere I've gone, I've told this same story. I was sitting over there where the kids were practicing, and I was watching them take this beach ball and push it down in the water and watching that beach ball pop up. Now, I've seen that thousands of times, hundreds of times, but this time it stuck in me. The Lord spoke to me and he said, he said, the, the power of this that you see is that it's what's on the inside of the ball. It's air on the inside of the ball and air will always transcend water. So no matter how long they push it down, when they let up, it has to rise to the top based on what's on the inside of it. And I caught the revelation based on what's on the inside of you. Yes, something can push you down. Yes, grief can push you down. Yes, debt can push you down. Yet depression can push you down, but it can't hold you down forever. And when it lets up, somehow you rise to the top. 
because you got the right stuff on the inside of you. And one thing I've learned, the harder you push it down, the harder it rises back up. So devil, push me down if you want to. I got the right stuff down on the inside and I will rise back up because I am resilient. I know who I am and I know who I serve. I know who purchased my life and he dwells on the inside. Look at this verse. Let's get this tag some scripture to it. Uh, Proverbs 24, 16, read that. For though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again, but the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. Here's the difference. Sometimes we think that the wicked people are people who are going through things. That's not what the scripture says. What it is is the people who can fall and get back up. That's the righteous folk. But the people who, once something happens, they can't never get up. There must be something wicked about them. They don't know how to stand. And yes, I may not have the wealth as you, but I'm more righteous than you because I can go through more than you can go through. Because I've been down, but I keep getting back up. You can't stop me from getting back up because a righteous man will fall and he'll get back up again. Somebody say, get back up again. Now, let's look at how Paul says it. I'm going to allow you to read the whole uh uh, Passes from 7 to 12 without interrupting. Go ahead and read it the way Paul said it. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the ex excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Yes. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Yeah, come on, read that thing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. Read. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. Read the last verse here. It says what? So then death worketh in us, but life in you. Yeah. Let me let you know the reason why you go through what you go through is because of the folk connected to you. Yes. And the folk connected to you, they need life. So God says, I got to take you through something so that the death that's working in you will produce life in them. And that's why we were built on this corner in this city because when we first put this building up, just I can't remember if it's on this side or if it was on that side, but it was a known crack house and the new folk called it a trap house. It was a known trap house. And so they asked Bishop Mitchell, what is he going to do building a church across from a drug house? He said, I'm just going to preach the word of God. Well, let me let you know it's not a drug house anymore because the death in us produce life in the community and yes you gotta go through something but guess what your community is better cause you went through it your spouse is better cause you went through it your child is better because you went through it yes it's troubling me but it produces life in the people around me amen so that's number one that is the black color let's go on to number two number two is the green the green symbolizes Africa's rich greenery and other natural resources. Uh, we, we talk about Wakanda, the fictional Wakanda that has the fictional, what is the vibranium. But there is real resources in the continent of Africa. And stop talking about Africa like it's a country. It's not a country. It's a continent filled with several countries and there's so much power in the soil and in the greenery, in the grass, in the trees and when I step on African soil something vibrated in me as if I was home. I had never been there before but when I stepped on African soil something happened because the seedbed of Genesis was in the African area. It's in that place where nature and life come from. So there's something in the soil. So that green means that. Let's look at Psalms 1, 1 through 3. And once again, this is for everybody. Read. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scorn. Okay, read. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Now here's the point I want to make. Read this one. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. 
that bringeth forth his fruit in his season, his leaf shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Shall prosper. The green represents prosperity, and prosperity is not just a money idea. It's an idea of growing from the inside out and growing so much that you produce fruit for the people that are around you. So you got to be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. The reason why the African soil produces what it produces is because it draws from the water that's around, and it produces. And so you have to be like a tree planted by the rivers of water where you know how to grow. You know how to go through trouble. You know how to bounce back. But not only do I bounce back, I produce fruit. If you need joy, I can produce the fruit of joy. If you need peace, I can produce the uh, fruit of peace. How can you do that, Pastor Andre? Because I stay connected to the vine. And Jesus said, I am the vine, and ye are the branches. And if you connect to me, if you abide in me, and my word abide in you, that's why I wouldn't stop coming to Bible study, and why I wouldn't stop preaching, and why I wouldn't stop praying, because I'm connected to the life source that gives me life. Yes, I'm dying every day, but I'm living on the inside because resurrection life is on the inside of me. When you wipe one of these tiles across the dust in your home, they say 80% of the dust is the dead skin, dead skin cells in your body. So our bodies are dying, but because of the work of Christ, we are alive on the inside. That's why Paul said to live is Christ. But to die is gain because the presence of God that's living on the inside of me, if I was to go to sleep, I would be connected to my father. Yeah, and we yeah. talked about that last week. And so let's, let's go on and let's read uh, Jeremiah 17. So we've been in our offering confession. We've been saying our leaf is green. And this is where that comes from. Let's look at here. 17.7. Blessed is a man that trusted in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. All right. Read. For he shall be as a tree planted by the water, Same thing. and that spreadeth out her roots by the river, and shall not see when heat cometh, but her leaf shall be green, and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. I, I, I'm only parking in part of it, but the previous verses talks about the famine. And the drought and Paul talking about those who don't trust in the Lord. So basically, there could be drought around you. There could be racism around you. But if you're like a tree planted by the rivers of water, I don't care who denies you what. You can still arise. You can still produce fruit. The scripture says you won't even feel the heat when it comes. You can hate me, and I don't even know you hate me. You, you, you hate me, and I think you smile at me because it doesn't matter what you think. I know who I am, and I know who I serve, and I'm planted by Christ. I'm planted by his truth. I'm planted by his love. I'm planted by his long suffering. So guess what? I'm going to produce fruit some way, somehow. But pastor, I just got divorced. Well, you're going to produce fruit as a divorcee. You can still produce fruit. Well, pastor, my daddy walked out on us. Well, let me let you know something. You still can be a good daddy, even though your daddy walked out on you because you're planted by, by the rivers of water. And you're like a tree. You're going to grow regardless. regardless. Tell the story uh, often all the time in, my, in our previous home. Uh, I remember coming home one day and it just smelled bad in the house. And I didn't know if Sister Lady Devin had stomach problems or what. It was smelling rough. And she looking at me like, like something was going on with me. And we realized it wasn't neither one of us. It was our sewer. And our sewer was backing up. And so we finally ended up getting some... Uh, somebody to look at it and they said you have older clay pipes and what has happened is the roots of the tree in the backyard is looking for water and the closest source of water is the water flowing through the clay pipes so the roots have reached into the clay pipes and bust through them to grab hold of the water and that's why your sewer is backing up and so we got it fixed but it made me think when you are starved for real water, you'll bust through places you ain't got no business busting through. The tree was reaching into sewer water because it didn't have enough real water. And some of y'all have been reaching into some dirty places, but let me let you know something. 
the spring of the water of Christ is all you need. Let go of that no good woman and that no good man. Let go of that dope and that fentanyl. Let go of the trouble that you've been in because you're reaching into sewer water. But I know somebody that will give you living water. Water that will make you where you'll never thirst again. He is the true and the living water. And out of your bellies shall flow rivers of living water. And here's another thing you got to understand. Some of the people out there, the reason why they act like they act, because they've never met any real water. That's why the Samaritan woman, that's why she was struggling. She had so many men running in and out of her life. But when Jesus showed up, Jesus said, give me a drink of water. And let her know that, listen, if you get this kind of water, you'll never thirst again. And some of y'all, y'all know your Bible, so I won't go there. But after she got done talking to Jesus, she said, come see a man. And I need some people to say, come see Deliverance Temple. They got water for your weary soul. They got water for your addicted soul. They got water for your hurting soul. Come find a place where you can get some fresh water that produces the rain. Let's, let's move on. Let's go to the, the yellow. So we, we cover the black and the yellow. What is the... Uh, I mean, we covered the black and the green. What does the yellow mean? The yellow stands for optimism, justice, and equality for everyone. Now, this was built into the black history code. We are celebrating black heritage, but we want equality for everyone. See, we don't want to trade um, white supremacy for black supremacy because that doesn't do you any good. We want to have something that produces equality and equity for everyone. In other words, we want, us, we want America, like Martin Luther King said, to live out the full meaning of its creed. We don't want to talk about it. And until we live out the full meaning of a creed, I no longer say I pledge allegiance. When I do that, I, I, I'm, I'm kind. I put my hand over my heart, and I pick up with the United States of America. But I'm not pledging allegiance until we get God back the way he's supposed to be back and not in a presidential candidate. If you think God is coming in a presidential candidate, I got news to let you know you are sadly mistaken. Whether it's, whether it's Democrat or Republican, there is only one God and it's God himself. And it's through the scriptures and the love of God that we transform nation. The Bible says sin is a reproach to any nation or any people. So I'm not pledging allegiance to that. I, but I, I do like the part that says one nation under God. Indivisible. And the reason why if you are focused on a party, you'll be focused on division. I'm not focused on division. I'm focused on a country that is under God. And until we get back under God, I will not pledge allegiance to anything that's not under God, including Andre Mitchell. Because sometimes I'm not under God the way I need to be. And I don't need to pledge allegiance. I need to ask for repentance. All right. Let's, let's go back and let's read this one more time. Yellow stands for optimism, justice, and equality for everyone. So optimism, remember what Jesse Jackson said, keep hope alive. So optimistic, let's look at this. Let's look at what Isaiah 16 through 17 says. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Let me say this to America. Independents, Republicans, Democrats, uh, Baptists, Methodists, Pentecostals, Hebrew, Israelites, Muslim, Buddha. Let me say to everybody under America, wash yourselves. Make yourself clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Well, there's a lot of evil that happens. But I'm specifically talking about the evil we do against one another. Black on black crime is not when you shoot each other in the street. Sometimes it's what you do on the telephone. White on right crime is not just what happens in the trailer parks. It's sometimes what happens when you are uh, dogging people out and, and uh, not promoting people who should be promoted. All that stuff that we do against each other because we're human is evil. Amen. And the church needs to get to be in the church where, listen, we stand together. Listen, if Trish gets promoted ahead of me, guess what? I'm, I'm uh, celebrating her because my time is coming. I ain't got to be mad at her. I ain't got to talk about her. Well, you know. 
let me let you know who she really is. I ain't got to do all that. I'm celebrating because guess what? I don't want God to look at me and stop me from getting blessed because somebody else did. Now, I'm working at General Motors, but that's not the place that I really thought I was going to work at. I was work. Uh, I put in a application for Borg Warner, and we had a cousin who was in the hiring, and he said to make sure I put it in, and he was going if it come across his plate, he was going to look at it. So I just knew, Sister Kelly, I knew Borg Warner was the place I was going to be. But my good friend Peter Brooks ended up getting the job. And they said it was only taking one more, and he got it. I didn't get it. And he was my friend. And I made up in my mind, I'm going to praise God for him and with him. Now, the devil tried to make me get upset, but I was like, no, I'm not going to do it. That's my friend. He go to the same church as me. At the time, he went to the same church as me. And he was the uncle of the girl I was dating, so I'm not going to get an attitude. I'm just going to pray and praise and be happy for him. Well, I'm so glad I did because what I didn't know, that was a temporary job. Peter never ended up working at Borg Warner for a long period of time because it was temporary. So what I thought I wanted was only temporary. And had I got mad at him for getting it, it might have stopped me from getting to General Motors where I still work today. And anybody knows anything about Borg Warner, they got up and just totally left the city and didn't give another option. And that's where I thought I was supposed to be. But God has something better for me. But had I got mad for the person who got what I thought I was supposed to have, maybe it would have messed me from being where I am now. You never know the evil in your thoughts can mess you up for decades in the future. Right now, I have 26 years at General Motors, but I almost messed it up because the devil wanted me to get mad over something that was temporary, and I didn't even know it. All right, let me move on and read the next four verses of this. Learn to do good. Read it again. Learn to do good. Read it again. Learn to do good. You can celebrate back history all you want, but if you don't learn to do good, you want a path downward like we talked about. Learn to do good. And it's a shame you got to tell church folk to learn to do good. Be good to people. Tip people as you got them running back and forth, getting you 17 drinks. Tip them. Open the door for people. Be nice. Be kind. Stop leaving trash in places where trash don't go. Stop throwing McDonald's uh, packages out the window. Learn to do good. Just simple stuff. Now let's, let's go back and let's read it. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Yeah. If you learn to do good, you learn how to stand up for what is right. How in the world could slavery last as long as it did in American churches was because people just didn't learn to do good. Because if I was to do good, it was going to affect my bottom line. But some people decided the bottom line is not more important than people, and they put their neck on the line to house slaves and to change things. And, and some of the abolitionists, you know how much they got dogged out for standing up and fighting for the end of slavery, and that's why there was a civil war. The America went to war with each other just so people could do what was right. It's very simple, but that's where it is. Let's move on. Let's go to Micah 6, 8. This is one of my favorite verses because it just sums up everything we need to know. He has told you, O oh man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? Let me stop right there. What does the Lord require of you? You got to fast a hundred times. You, you need to know the Bible backwards and forward. You need to be able to quote all the books of the Bible. You can't make no mistakes. No, but read what the scripture says. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice. Do justice. And to love kindness. Love kindness. And to walk humbly with your God. I can simplify your Christian wrong real quick. Do justice, love kindness, and stay humble before the Lord. That will fix so much of our trouble if we would just do justice, love kindness. Well, they're a dope addict. Well, do you know what caused them to be a dope addict? 
maybe you should be a little kinder because if you went through what they went through, you might be doing what they're doing. So stop being so high-minded and humble yourself and do justice and, and, uh, uh, and do some kindness and some love. And man, this world would be a so much better place. But the world needs just some little love, all right? Come on. Let's go to Amos 5. 24. This is what Amos said, but it'll remind you of Dr. Mark Luther King. Read it. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Yeah, we got to let justice roll down like an avalanche of waters. It's time for the downtrodden not to be the downtrodden all the time. It's time for somebody to stand up for them and, and even people who've done wrong. Just because they've done wrong don't mean they need to be mistreated in the prison system. Don't mean because the prison system is supposed to be rehabilitation. And it don't it's not really rehabilitation because it's really the new slave labor. Ain't got time to talk about it. But in the amendment to slavery, it says that all slaves will go free except there's a clause in there, except that you are being punished for something. So basically, uh, a lot of the work of the stuff that is done is done by prisoners for cheap prison is a money-making business. It doesn't mean that some people don't deserve to be in jail. Some people have done some stuff to be in jail, but some of those long sentences means the longer I get to get free labor out of you. So we, as the church, we got to do justice for them. So what do we do? We pray for our inmates. If we can, we put money on their books. When people are going to see them, I send prayers. When, when, in, on our newsletter, there's a prayer. There's a spot in there for our prison inmates, our prison. And they still belong to the Deliverance Temple. They're not kicked out. They're a part of the family. And I call their name out and I pray for them because one mistake shouldn't define you for the rest of your life. All right, let's move on. Here's the last one. This makes so much sense. Let's go to number four. So we got the black. The green, the yellow, now the red. Red symbolizes the blood of innocent black lives that have been shed throughout history. Innocent black lives that have been shared throughout history. I, I hate to mess with some of your theology, but the person that we have put on the cross that looks real European, that probably is not really historically accurate. More than likely, he was a lot darker, but he is no proof that he was African-African. And we talked about this some years ago. You can go back and look on your app, and you'll find the Black History series, and I've given much detail to it that I won't give now. But it doesn't show that he was from Kush. Kush was deep Africa. The dark black, and so when people paint him white, white, that's probably not accurate. And people paint him black, black, that's probably not accurate. Somewhere in between. But he was more likely darker than he was lighter. And so when it says the red symbolizes the blood of innocent black lives, let me change it to the innocent dark lives. Because the first and greatest dark life, not, the, not just the first, but the first and greatest dark life that was sacrificed innocently was Jesus the Christ. And he was put on the cross. But his blood meant something. That's why they say his blood reaches to the highest mountain and it flows to the lowest valley. The blood that gives me strength from day to day, it will never lose its power. Because it was purposely sacrificial blood. He told Pilate, no, you can't take my life. I give up my life. You, you couldn't hold me hostage if, you, if I didn't let you do it. But I came here to die for all mankind. But my red blood is for everybody. Red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in my sight because of my red blood that was flowed for all humanity. Let's look at Exodus 12, 13. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. 
And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. You know that's talking about Exodus, but it has implications for us under the salvation banner that when he sees the blood, he'll pass over you. In other words, the, the destructive angels cannot, cannot harm us because we have the blood of Jesus Christ. Well, what happens well, when one of us dies? The scripture says when we die in the Lord. In other words, when we have the blood over our banner, and I said it last week, when we die, we don't really die. We just go to sleep and wake up in another reality closer to our maker. So nothing can take us out when we have the blood, the innocent shed blood of the master. And so that red, whenever you are wearing these black history colors, remember the red is, is for the black innocent lives. But take it to the life of Jesus Christ. And remember, you are promoting the blood that raises us to life. Let's look at Leviticus 17, 11. Read that. For the life of the body is in its blood. I have given you the blood on the altar to purify you, making you right with the Lord. It is the blood given in exchange for life that makes purification possible. Makes purification possible. So not only does the blood keep us and protect us and give us a new life, but it also purifies us. So I said earlier, if I grew up white, maybe I would have been racist too at some point in my life. But even if I was, if I would yield to the blood of the Lord, he could purify me from that. I can repent and I can change my ways and be a new person. And don't you ever be a black person and automatically judge someone because they're white and think that they're mean and evil because you don't know what they've talked to their Lord about. And God may have purged them and cleansed them and processed them through things. So don't ever be a judge. Don't ever judge a book by its cover. But let's love on each other. Let's bring each other together and let's hold the bloodstained banner of Jesus. Christ. And here's the thing that I have learned, and I've been in several places. I can tell a Christian, a real Christian, when I bump into one. They, they don't even have to open their mouth, but there's something you feel. You can run into somebody, and they don't have to look like you look, but there's a kindred spirit. It's the blood of Jesus, the blood that runs warm in our face. It's something about that. Have you ever walked into somebody's presence and just a sweet presence about them? Whether black or white or rich or poor, it's just something about them. It's a presence on them. It's because we all are one in the blood of the Lamb. I remember going to Haiti after the destruction of the earthquake there and going to preach. And I was warned about all the voodoo that's there in uh, Haiti and all the demonic forces that I make faces. So I got ready to be prayed up. But when I got there and walked on to the tarmac, got there, all these little impoverished kids was coming up and they wanted money. And I had pulled some money in my pocket and the person with me was like, you cannot do that. He said, we got to move on because they'll just start swarming you. But the first thing I realized is that I don't have to do a whole bunch of rebuking and praying. All I need to do is walk in love. And love began to transcend. There were people who were voodoo priests who were not at me because the love of God will trample any demonic force. And I began to speak and talk to them. And one of the things that was so beautiful, there was this one fellow. When I first got I got into an orphanage, and it was, uh, it, it was really hard to see because they were really impoverished. They didn't have mother or father. Uh, not only had AIDS ravaged, but the earthquake had ravaged. But I got into this one orphanage, and this one little kid just comes and sits right next to me. And I thought he saw me and knew I was from America, but my person that was with me, the translator said, he's blind. But the blind person came and just sat right next to me. And every day we went back, he would come and sit right next to me. He couldn't see me, but he could feel the love of God. And the love of God was reaching to him. And with his blind eyes, when they told them that I had to go, I seen a tear come from his blind eye because it was the love of God. And what I've learned, it don't make a difference who you are, whether you're disabled, whether you're gay, whether you're sick, whether you're black, white, Asian, the love of God transcends all languages. There's one universal language, and it's L-O-V-E. Actually, it's A-G-A-P-E. It's the agape, unconditional love. The love that will send his son to die for all humanity. 
So I close with this. We're talking about history, but this is what, really what we're talking about. Put it up. We're really just talking about his story. His story is greater than your skin color. It's greater than your last name. It's greater than the continent you came from. It's greater than the DNA in your body. And guess what? If you do a DNA test, you will find you got a whole bunch of stuff in your blood. I got some whales in me. I don't even know what whales is. Whales, I don't know nothing about it, but my DNA shows it's in me. We got everything in us. We are, we're like the Ryan's Buffet. We got everything. So it's really about his story for all humanity. And so what is his story? Let's read it. Revelation 1, 5. I want to go to the back. The last thing we see in the Bible, Revelation 1, 5. Go ahead and put it up in the back. Read that. And from Jesus Christ, he is a faithful witness to these things. The first to rise from the dead and the ruler of all the kings of the world. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. This is the story. This is the only story. This is his story. This is the history. What he did makes everything available to us. And so I close again with this. Put this up. It's my question to you. What will be your story? What is your legacy? Is it a legacy of love? Is it a legacy of caring? Is a legacy of going above and beyond all the things that we've been talking about this year? What will your story be? Well, there's a lot of things that we can think of. It's almost like New Year's resolutions. There's a lot of things we can hope and dream for. But let's just simplify it. And let's take something straight from the scripture and let this be all of our story as we go forward. And I'll read it. Here it is, Ephesians 2.13. This is all of our story. But now. You have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. I'm going to read it again and change the pronouns to reflect it a little different. But now I have been united with Christ Jesus. But now we have been united with Christ Jesus. Once I was far away from God, once we all were far away from God, but now I have been brought near. But now we have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. And let me say it this way, through the blood of the cross. This is our story, our lasting story. After February goes away and you move on later on in the year and even past Juneteenth, maybe you're not even thinking about black history. There's only one history that's going to matter. What are you going to do for Christ? And the only way to know it is to receive what he's already done for you. Let's stand to our feet. Celebrating black history. Let's go to a time of prayer, our closing prayer. Let's bow our heads. Dear gracious heavenly father, God, it's important for all of us to be grateful for our heritage because you chose us. We were created in the image of you, so you chose who we would be. You chose what our skin color would look like. You chose what our features would be. You decided what we are. So we are, are celebrating everything that we are in every ethnicity, but we humble ourselves to have pride, not just in our ethnicity, but pride in your blood pride in what you have done. We will never let anyone devalue us for the color of our skin, but we will not overly put the color of our skin above your blood and the work of the cross. And for that, we thank you and we praise you. God, if there's anybody under the sound of my voice, both in the building as well as online, that doesn't know you in the pardon of their sin, God, I pray that they would just say these words, Father God, you sent your son to die for my sins, I believe it, I receive it, and I accept the transforming blood of your son. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you all. Have a great, wonderful, and marvelous week.